When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hi, I'm Caroline and I'm Anna and this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to Seriously. Our normal programming resumes after two weeks of specials. Caroline, are you feeling refreshed from your holiday? I am. I'm feeling quite cold. It's unsurprisingly quite a lot warmer in the Southern Hemisphere right now. (laughs) But I did also have a great time getting there and back. I have to say the Virgin Atlantic film selection on the aeroplane is top notch these days. Plane movies. I love plane movies. I know because they've got a really good balance between like stuff I didn't get round to seeing in the cinema but did want to see and also like Die Hard. Do you find that like being up in the air makes you more emotional? Because apparently this is a thing. So much. So this is the thing I wanted to talk about. So I watched Pitch Perfect 2. Oh god, I saw that in the cinema. I paid to see that movie. <laughs> and cried like a baby. No, you did not. Yes, I did. <laughs> at the bit when, right at the end, when they do their big like comeback Shut performance. it. <laughs> and they sing that song that like Jesse J did the video yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, Flashlight. Yeah. With Hayley Steinfield at yep. the front. Wow. I know, and I actually cried so much that my sister, who was sitting behind me, had to lean over and be like, you are such a dork, will you stop it? Oh my god, <laughs> I mean, that is up there in the most embarrassing films you can cry at, I yeah. think. I think it's fair to say it's not a good film. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. And, like, Pitch Perfect has some merit, but the sequel yeah, has yeah, none. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, something that I would rec- highly recommend to listeners if they haven't seen it is Melissa McCarthy's spy film. Oh, I, I liked that. So did With I. Jude Law. Yes, And I love how Jude Law basically accepted a part that makes him the butt of every joke in the film. I thought that was a really cool thing for him to do. Yeah, it's nice. And Miranda Hart. Oh my god, some good pop culture consumption on Mm. your holiday. Very impressed. And since you've been back, there's been a bit of a a monumental week in pop culture. The thing we're going to talk about immediately is Kanye West's album. I want to call it like Listening Party slash Fashion Show. Yeah, based on the... I haven't watched it in full yet. I've just seen some screen grabs and a few clips, and it looks crazy. That's all I can think (laughs) about is how... Like, how weird it must have been, firstly, to, like, be in the room, but then also because you watched it via a live stream at the cinema, right? Yeah, which was just a whole other meta layer of bizarreness. But it's just a very... I think one of the good things you can say about it is that it is fairly unprecedented. I don't Mm. think anyone's really done that before. And he is doing this quite weird thing where he's really mishmashing fashion and music together like fashion and music is something that have gone together for like ages and ages and ages but he's just being like smash 
mm. all the, together all the time. And he's also kind of saying, this is all my output. Yeah. So, so if you like my stuff, these things are all for you. Kind yeah, of yeah. And being like, I do lots of things at once. Mm. Like, I can be a fashion designer and a like world famous rapper at the same time. And people, like, it's quite interesting to see someone like Anna Winter sat like three seats away from Lamar Odom. Mm. Like, when does that really happen in other places? So I think that's pretty cool. But it has just been a fortnight, maybe a month of just like intense shut up Kanye feelings. Yeah. So it's just, it's all been a bit much for me. I mean, I normally am someone who defends Kanye a lot, but I have also always known that he's a bit of a misogynist. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's quite hard to get away from the slut-shaming of his ex, Amber Rose, which I don't know if you saw. Yeah, I did. That yeah. was just, what? And the whole thing is even worse because it came out of this really embarrassing feud where he thought that Wiz Khalifa was criticising Kim Kardashian and was actually talking about weed. <laughs> using the yes, abbreviation KK to uh, uh. he was basically like oh you married a stripper to Wiz Khalifa when he also dated Amber Rose and loved her presumably as a full human being so it's like very very grim mm. to hear him I mean it's grim to hear anyone talk about women in that way but especially someone that you've like had a relationship someone with someone that you know personally so, you, yeah. so you've gone a whole extra level of dehumanising her because you do have a personal relationship exactly. with her. It's very odd and he's got this ability to both, you know, seem like a pretty empathetic guy and then just like completely the opposite mm. at times. So it was funny because the whole time he was like, oh man, I feel really bad for Wiz like I didn't mean to like start this fight and he's lost loads of Twitter followers and blah 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 and it's like no, 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 that's not the person you need to be apologising to. You still don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> You're still not getting it. And now he's had this whole thing with Taylor Swift because he's sort of dragged her on one of his tracks where he was like basically saying that he made her famous which is obviously not true like she won one of those major awards before he had the chance to heckle her about it that's the whole point that's why she was there Um, and but hasn't he subsequently claimed on twitter that like he talked to taylor about it first and she thought it was funny and that it was her idea yeah which Mm -hmm. is he says it was her idea once she was out for dinner with a friend and she joked that i made her famous and you're like those two things are not the same thing, can't you? Yeah, also, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm kind of, I'm putting that in the category of jokes women make when they're uncomfortable to try and make the uncomfortable thing go away. Yeah, or when you make a joke that the punchline is obviously not. Mm. Like, for her, that if she says, oh yeah, Kanye made me famous, then the joke is, no, he didn't really. I'm, yeah. like, a very successful singer-songwriter. When Kanye makes that joke the implications are different yeah it's not a joke it's just him being like when i have interactions with other human beings they become famous like me so yeah all a bit weird yeah well like his tweet about bill cosby being innocent and this was the worst thing of all you know which just just don't just like, don't do it yeah also you know nothing about that stuff no. like that's that's kind of what i felt like i don't i'm actually quite pro generally celebrities getting involved in whatever they want because sometimes that has really interesting and surprising outcomes Mm. but kind of in the same way as i feel about celebrities offering comment on the oscars and diversity it's like just just don't say anything yeah i know no no, not for you Mm. and then a lot of people were really surprised like oh no now i can't like kanye west anymore and i was just a bit like "Mm, he's kind of proved time and time again that he doesn't actually see women as full people and this is an extension of yeah if you're only coming to this now then you haven't really been paying attention Mm. to him so far you know that probably coloured my experience of listening to the album being a bit like having to have a heavy sigh when the inevitable misogynistic lyrics come. This kind of thing is so complicated because obviously a lot of the discourse surrounding Kanye West is so heavily inflicted by racism Mm -hmm. and he doesn't get away with stuff that lots of other people would get away with and he's constantly criticised for like being confident and being arrogant and stuff. But he just says things where you're like, hmm, can't excuse that though, can you? And this is the problem, right? So... 
because we when we were planning this episode we were like we're going to talk about Kanye's new album yeah actually and now we haven't we haven't we've talked even about... <laughs> all we've talked about so far is all the other things so we should try and actually talk about the music as we've heard it so far yeah I think it's really hard I was actually coming out of the screening where I saw the live stream from Madison Square Gardens and a journalist was like can we take your photo what did you think and they like asked me to give my response and I was like oh I need to go and listen to it about six more times um Mm. but what I actually said was I liked the opening tracks I liked the sort of sampling of gospel-y music I really like that that. I think I'm gonna really like that first track yeah ultra light beams I think is possibly the best track on the album I also really love Real Friends which we've Mm. known about for a while now and Wolves I also really liked Father Stretch My Hands which he Kanye like tweeted the lyrics to a portion of that one of the verses before the album was played and they're really really sad lyrics the music that they're set to is this really sort of discordant electronic quite jarring music mm-hmm. so they they feel completely different in that context but i still think that that's a really interesting song and it's also got like more gospely samples in there that i really liked so i think i did really like the album and it's also so great to see some of that really characteristically kanye west lyricism coming through like well, there's a line in it that just says how many geniuses are there that aren't crazy. Yeah. Like and there's some really good. I, I say almost spoken word because although it is rapping, there's, it's not set to any music at all. Sort of speaking in character as a Kanye West fan, saying I miss the old Kanye, and yeah, it's really, really funny. funny yeah. yeah, and it ends with I love you as much as Kanye loves, loves Kanye, Kanye. <laughs> which is sort of a meme that went around a while ago. I think during Valentine's Day, someone made a card saying that. And he's so good at like taking that on and, and laughing at himself. And when he's in that mode, I think he can be so kind of sparky and brilliant. And also when he's talking about these like deep fears and insecurities, which come through a lot, which is something he's always been known for doing really, really well. It does. So from what you described when you were tweeting there and then this morning when we talked about it, it sounded weirdly anticlimactic as an event because you kind of think, right, he's hired out Madison Square Gardens, he's sold it out, there's a live stream all around the world. Mm. And then he turns up and like plugs in a laptop yeah, yeah. and then plays it. You kind of think, at least there'll be a live band yeah. <laughs> and, or uh, something. You worry sometimes that it was. it's more about trying to get people in to see his clothes and that's what he really cares about. It's yeah. like trying to show off the clothes when actually obviously everyone who'd bought a ticket was really there for the album, apart from the, the fashion people he'd mm. invited. It's also recently made, this album. You can really hear it in a lot of the lyrics and, for example, Chance the Rapper like just over a week ago tweeted like oh when you realize you're not going to be on the new Kanye West album because you haven't been invited to be on it and he had a really long probably the longest guest verse of anyone on it on the first track and you're like this track must have been made like last week (laughs) when did you do this and like references to Black China and Rob which is a coupling that's only recently started to appear in the tabloids Mm. so sometimes it does feel like it's not finished that's what i would say a lot of a lot of the time i was like wait is this done i mean speaking as of now it hasn't been released for download yet has it no uh and i don't know if it's because they're finishing it which i kind of suspect it is i Mm. almost felt like he'd announced this date he knew he had to follow through for the clothes scrambled it all together at the last minute and now was a bit like okay just gotta like fine-tune this now especially because you know the track list was changing constantly in the lead up and i assume there's going to be a big deluxe version with loads of bonus tracks for all the ones that um you know haven't made the cut so a crazy roller coaster <laughs> yeah a really exhausting Kanye yeah. west album so far i'm tired I would say. yeah got kanye tiredness <laughs> 
ultra light beam. We on a ultra light beam. This is a god dream. This is a god dream. This is everything. This is everything. And now we present a selection of our iTunes reviews. Anna R says, "What a rambling mess! Doesn't seem very well structured." And Baghdad Cats One Two Four comments, "Two posh hipsters lecture you about you what you can and can't not enjoy." <laughs> we welcome all forms of feedback. If you'd like to leave an iTunes review, please search for S R S L Y in iTunes. Now we're going to talk about a recent BBC documentary, Reggie Yates's Extreme UK, and the episode called "Men at War," which is a fifty-minute exploration of the world of the MRAs, men's rights activists, and a place on the internet called the Manosphere, <laughs> which I found totally hilarious as a concept. But it was a very interesting documentary, and also a kind of a reminder to me of how much I love Reggie Yates. Oh really? Yeah. yeah, he's. I mean, I grew up sort of with Reggie Yates. Mm-hmm. I feel like I used to see him on like Smile TV and all that kind of thing. Do you remember that? And he had there was like a a game that was like Pac Man. They played on it, and if you got into Reggie Yates's corner, they, it would go like oh, yes. Reggie Yates. So whenever I see him, that's all I think is like Reggie Yates, the like child <laughs> Saturday morning star. But yeah, so it's funny to see him doing something so serious. He's really good at it. I sometimes I found him good, and sometimes I was like, I don't think that that's the way you should respond. But by the end, I was mostly like, okay, no, it it was good. But because sometimes, so basically, the documentary is structured as Reggie Yates going and meeting as many of these men's rights activists as he can. A lot of them kind of decline because there, there's a paranoia within the community that any sort of media contact they have is inherently set up against them it's a very big part of how the movement is structured isn't it to position themselves against the quote media Mm, exactly yeah so to do that sometimes he has to take a softer approach so he has to not seem biased basically yeah and so there'd be times where he would say things like now i'm no feminist or that annoyed me but i kind of feel like I think there's a comparison to be made with Louis Theroux's documentary style here, actually, mm-hmm. who, not always, but in certain situations, Louis Theroux, he doesn't exactly exactly go along with things he finds objectionable, but he tries to keep a poker face mm-hmm. and sort of give the person the rope to hang themselves. So not give them anything to fight with, just keep all the onus on them to keep talking, keep saying what they believe. They're not... He's not being combative or anything like that. And I thought, I think that's what he was doing at times. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Definitely he was attempting to to have that sort of style. Mm. I think a good example of it was that, so there's a bit where Reggie goes to see Roosh V, who you might have heard about because he's been in the news recently, who's often referred to as like a, a rape advocate in quote yeah. marks because he once wrote a piece saying, which he claims was satire is what he'd say, but the line is is very blurred saying that if you wanted to end rape you would legalize it in private spaces and then women would be more careful about who they went home with etc etc which is obviously a bullshit theory and also uh, reggie finds in one of his in one of Rouge's books a line where he says no means no until it means yes yeah so he's obviously a deeply objectionable guy with views about women that perpetuate rape culture in the most extreme possible way and when he first goes to see Rouge V speak at this event, he kind of doesn't know anything about him. 
he goes he sits at the back there's a camera he does lots of sort of sideways glances at the camera when people say things like women are no longer trained to submit to a man to serve a man the very idea of beauty and aesthetics is being demolished to where now women are being applauded and encouraged to look like fat outer space cyborgs women and gays are seen as superior to straight men. Anything that a woman or a gay person wants is theirs. But anything you want, sorry, we cannot help you. Completely bizarre, nonsensical statements. Mm. And uh, then Rushvi says to him, like, and what did you think of the talk at the end? And you're like, oh my God, what can you possibly say to that? That A, isn't going to get you like beaten up and B, isn't going like, to offend anyone who's watching the programme sat at home. And he kind of says, to be honest, it was a lot broader than I imagined. I thought it was going to be about picking up women, but it seems to be a lot more about um, masculinity in general, <laughs> which is yeah. a very evasive response that I was quite impressed by. That, that was quite a repetitive trope of the documentary, actually, that you get like Reggie in the room with some really objectionable people trying to play it cool in an attempt to find out more about what they're about. And then we'd get Reggie being interviewed outside in front of a fence. He's mm. always in front of a fence saying what he actually thought. Which I thought was quite an interesting stylistic choice. Yeah, and so another way of doing that is he goes to see Milo Yiannopoulos, who, again, you might have heard of, you might not. He's a journalist. His journalism, in quote marks, mainly seems to be making provocative statements on Twitter. I think that's basically his job. And he says, you know, he's constantly talking about, you know, the feminist matriarchy ruining his life. Reggie has an interview with him and it starts in a sort of pub or something somewhere and it's fairly polite and like, so where are your frustrations coming from? And like, how do you think this movement is misrepresented? Quite interesting. And then he goes away, does some more research, comes back and it's like, this shit is terrible. (laughs) And Milo's very like, no, no, come on, Reggie, you don't get it. And like instantly betrays the kind of person that he is on camera once he starts to get pushed a bit harder towards the end but he wouldn't have got that interview if he hadn't gone in softly in the first place exactly and and i thought actually the way that that was edited was a really interesting and good choice on behalf of the documentary makers because yeah you get that first interview where it's a bit kind of Tell us about your feelings, Milo. How, how do you feel? And then he talks to the New Statesman's very own Laurie Penny. Yeah, our colleague, sh- colleague Laurie Penny. Who shows Reggie like some of the terribly kind of gendered abuse she gets sent on a daily basis on the internet. Yeah, it's so bad that she can't show it on camera yeah. because you, understandably, you just wouldn't want that kind of the image BBC of you. can't screen it. Yeah, and also you just like, so one of the things that MRAs do to Laurie is they photoshop images of her face into like onto like horrible pornographic or violent images and obviously you don't really want to want that out there you just don't no one would poor laurie (laughs) so so you get that interview and then we go back to milo so in the context of what we've now learned from laurie exactly reggie's now asking how is that acceptable how is that acceptable and milo basically says something like oh this is just how feminists always act they're like they say something provocative and then when people like come back at them they're like oh no i'm the victim here and you're just like you're a despicable person <laughs> you're just a bad guy. and i think also the funny thing about him is he knows he's a bad guy but it's for try trying to pretend like he's not which is actually the most dangerous thing of all is to pretend that you believe that you've got the moral high ground yeah. even when i actually think milo sits at home chuckling at his computer screen being like ha, look at me i've like made another tweet storm and like doesn't actually take mm. this stuff seriously it's dangerous because as the documentary explores 
there's a lot of very impressionable young boys who do take it seriously and don't think it's a laugh and think that their lives are being ruined by this 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 demon called feminism yeah Yeah. this non-existent yeah oppression well the particular example of that was the the young vlogger from Mm -hmm. essex i've forgotten his name who he goes to visit who's a a a really very articulate and well-spoken young man of 18 clearly very smart clearly really smart who like he should be going to university to study politics and then i don't know like becoming a young tory and getting a safe seat that's what you should be doing instead what he's doing is sitting in the spare bedroom at his mum's house which is decorated like a girl's bedroom because which it, I loved. the people who used to live there it was it was like a, a two-year-old girl's room so and making these videos about how like all of history has led up to this moment in which men are getting a raw deal because women now have more power and the thing that reggie kind of pushes with him but he doesn't really get satisfactory answers is how much direct experience this young man even has of women. You get the sense that he's never really met any. But he's, in, like except you say, mom. except his mum. <laughs> he's imported all of these injustices from other people's testimony in the MRA community. Because one of, the, one of the classic MRA things is that they're often middle-aged men who've been through a, a tricky divorce and feel like they've been slighted because the system is stacked in favour of women. Yeah, and which is almost understandable if you've come out of a traumatic divorce and found that there aren't that many opportunities for you on the other side. It's misguided, but I kind of sympathise with the impulse. And that, in many cases, seems to anecdotally become a kind of festering sore that then becomes full-blown MRA activism. Mm -hmm. But of course, this this boy's had none of that. He's like, he's just imbibed this rhetoric from other people. And this is where... I think the documentary did quite well having him in the episode all the way through because you get him a bit and you're like, wow, this boy's really smart. Wrong, but smart. Mm. And then you get like a brief interview with Dapper Laughs, who's like, oh yeah, I'm just doing a character. Like all my fans are far too smart to realize, to think that it's yeah. it's for real. And you're like, no, I'm Dapper Laughs. I'm taking the piss out of men, he says over and over again, when one of the punchlines of the joke that that's shown on screen is like, oh yeah, women are too busy doing blowjobs to speak Mm. so you're like wait tell me where that takes the piss out of men other than the fact that it's said in this in quotes character actually the punchline is very specifically aimed at women yeah and and to denigrate women and this is you mentioned earlier this is a thing that comes up again and again with these people it's like oh it was satire when i said that rape should Mm. be legalized your satire looks an awful lot like when it's not satire it reminds me how do i tell it's so funny it reminds me there's a line in the simpsons in early simpsons which i always think about where crusty says something unacceptable at a table and everyone looks at him he goes it was a joke when you give me that look it was a joke (laughs) and you're like when i realize that i'm on dodgy legal grounds it was satire. <laughs> yeah, and and therefore you're oppressing my free speech. Yeah. It also reminds very strongly of the, the Mitchell and Webb sketch about the producers of The Apprentice. People watching The Apprentice ironically and people watching it seriously. Right. And one of them, they, they both play like producer characters. And one of them says, and remind me how these ironic people show up in the ratings? They show up just the same, my friend. Just the same. <laughs> And and that's exactly the thing with, with like Rouge V's satire and Dapper Laugh's character is that show me how it's different mm. from your other material. Mm. I, it seems to be the same. I can't tell the difference. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Reggie seems quite aware of that throughout. Yeah, he's pretty good at this style mm-hmm. of documentary. I really enjoyed it. I'd like to see how he, how he copes in perhaps other documentaries where it's not so clear cut for me going in because yeah. I think 
as a young feminist, when I'm presented with something like that, I'm immediately like, right, well, the only reason I would really watch this is probably just see how ridiculous they are rather than to be like, yeah, I bet there's, there might be something in this MRA stuff. So sometimes, yeah. I think sometimes Louis Theroux's best documentaries... Are the totally ambiguous ones. Are the ambiguous yeah. ones, yeah. So although, you know, everyone can watch the Westboro Baptist Church ones and be like, wow, this is so horrible. It's more like spectacle porn than it is you being like, I want to learn more about this issue. Yeah. And so I'd like quite like to see the how, how he copes in that kind of situation. The other thing that I was sort of expecting all the way through, but which never really happened, is some discussion of like at core what the MRAs think they're fighting for Mm -hmm. because I think on the like less mad fringes of it there are people making some good points about like men's health and how sort of modern modern masculinity means that men never go to the doctor when there's something wrong with them so they have much higher death rates from things like testicular cancer and stuff yeah and problems about depression in men and stuff like these these are all very real issues that no one wants to take away from so i was sort of expecting at some point to get a bit of even just some stats about like male suicide rates or Mm -hmm. something and Mm -hmm. and kind of link the hyper masculinity that mras display with the issues they think they're campaigning with exactly because there's a really simple and good point to be made that says actually if you want to make life better for men you should set about deconstructing toxic masculinity Mm. in the 21st century rather than blaming it all on women and saying that women need to conform to ideas of traditional femininity so that you can feel okay again actually what you want to do is just get rid of these notions altogether but overall I'd I'd be interested in seeing another one of his documentaries. Yeah, same. And I would highly recommend to listeners to check this one out. I think Mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of good things. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So last week I suggested that Caroline give Ali Smith's public library a go, which was a slight cheat because I know that you're already a fan of Ali Smith. 
Yeah, I do. I do love her. So how did you find... Have you read any of her other short stories? No, I haven't. This is the first collection I've read. Okay. Yeah, I think it was mine too. So how did you find it? Just ecstatically brilliant. Yeah. Good. <laughs> so brilliant. There's, there's quite a range of stories, isn't there? There's a real range of stories. There's a real range of sort of styles. And I really like how you get what you might term loosely like proper short stories linked with like italic interludes in between, which feel a bit more autobiographical in times. So it means that I think maybe a little bit more than other contemporary short story collections I've read, it feels more coherent. It's definitely threaded, isn't it? It's like there's there's a link to each one, which is obviously this idea about libraries and their importance to people across time. And uh, I mean, it's mostly in the UK, isn't it? But place as well. Did you have a favourite story? I don't know if it's my favourite. I want to read it again, actually, the whole... Mm. all the stories but I really liked the one that actually originally appeared in the New Statesman which I've now forgotten the name of but we'll put it in the show notes <laughs> it's the one where she she starts off talking about like a Lufthansa flight and some credit card fraud yeah, yeah, and, yeah, try, yeah. and trying to sort that out and then she yeah it's very stream of consciousness yeah. that one isn't it in a way and it's I really the internal monologue of somebody I really like that when she does that like, like she does that quite a lot in how to be both like one one whole half of how to be both is this stream of consciousness Mm -hmm. of this like Italian fresco artist and like no other writer I know she can make you feel like you're in an imaginary person's head yeah and that story is sort of there's quite a lot to do with like coincidence and stuff isn't there she's very good at doing that without making it feel too constructed Mm. because a lot of her writing is about like extraordinary everyday things whenever I read Ali Smith I feel like it's all about the interconnectedness of all of human life in a really like emotional amazing way yeah actually and she have you read the accident Mm. yeah I mean that's a whole novel about that really isn't it about like a woman who just sort of like walks into a family and acts like she's always been there Mm -hmm. as if she was always supposed to be there and they're they're all like maybe maybe she was always here like (laughs) oh I'm sure she's like someone so and so knows like and none of them ever question it but also in a in a broader sense in how to be both which is so much about the layering of time and history and how these things are perhaps not as linear as we think and how all these things are connected. And I love that bit in How To Be Both where she talks about the sort of DNA mm. statue thing as being an upward shout like all of history is instead of like a linear thing. Yeah, And she can make that come across in discussion of really mundane and minute incidents and things. I really actually loved the first story in this connection. It's to do with a woman on a train. Oh, the one with the woman in the wheelchair mm-hmm. on the train. Yeah, that is great. Really, really interesting. And then there's a line in it. I'm really, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but it's something like the word for mundane came from the Latin mundus, which means the world. And I was yeah. like, that breaks my heart in a happy way and is the most Ali Smith line of anything ever. Actually, there's a really good like whole passage around that about word etymologies and yeah. stuff. And I remember the bit about the word buxom and how once upon a time it was a word applied to both men and women that meant like cheerful or something Mm -hmm. and then because like fat fatter people are generally thought to be more cheerful it added this meaning of being fat and then somehow it became only to do with women and it and it added this overtone like slightly sexualized overtone and that's how we end up with you know i would read a dictionary written by ali smith oh my god can you imagine that would be the best thing in the whole world it's like she manages to make just like thinking about where words come from this incredibly emotional Mm. experience i i read a after i finished reading the book i read a a guardian review of the collection Mm -hmm. which 
made me think sort of a bit <laughs> a bit more laterally about it that so obviously the the thread through all of it is about libraries and public libraries and how important they are and how they change people and so on but the book itself is a kind of library like it has mm. so many writers and literary illusions in it mm. that it makes you want to go to a library and get all these books out yeah so it's it's kind of like propaganda for libraries exactly and it's also i feel kind of like about the idea of people as libraries mm. and like how and like passing information or stories from person to person to person and sometimes that's why the development of a single word can sometimes seem like so much more than that because you think about all the different individuals who've ever said that word and who've ever passed mm. on meaning to each other and it becomes this incredible chain of human life so suddenly and you're like oh wow I wish I could do that with words Ali Smith <laughs> it made me think as well about the library I used to go to when I was a kid and how which I loved but how for a long time I had this completely wrong idea that the books in the library only existed in the library so as in it, you couldn't buy them so, in a shop yes so there were so there were books that came from a bookshop oh, that's really cute. and then there were books that came from the library and there was no crossover between the two yeah. and the reason i thought this is because the library i used to go to the children's section was really old and like and there were a few books that were obviously like at least 50 years old already <laughs> definitely out of print and all this and i used to borrow them over and over and over again Aww. and i remember being so devastated oddly when a friend of my mum's like asked me what I was reading and I told her it was it was this really random book which I really want to find again now about a boy who lived in sort of like early Tudor times and his family were sort of wool merchants and he had and he he uncovered some like wool, wool fraud oh my god that involved... Caroline this is the most Caroline children's book you could possibly be reading <laughs> yeah. about like sheep and wool and the early Tudor period yeah I know I <laughs> I sort of formulated my taste early. Yeah, was, was this a very uh, identity influencing like book? <laughs> and anyway, so I told this friend of my mum's what this book was about, and she was like, "Oh, I remember that book." Da, da, da. Um, I remember my granddad bought it for me. I was like, "What? You the, don't get to have this book." The book exists outside the library, <laughs> and I was like, "My mind was blown." It's like Jack in Room finding yeah. out that other people can buy copies of his books, and he's like, "Why have they got my book?" <laughs> <laughs> I honestly thought that. There were just one of each of these books and that they were only in the library. Oh, that's so cute. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I also feel like I could revisit it. Definitely. So what have you got for me? So for next week, I'm going to recommend you something that I very much enjoyed while I was on holiday, which is a section of Shonda Rhimes's autobiography. I guess autobiography. It's it's more of a book a book about a year of her life in which she decides to kind of undertake a radical shift in the way she thinks about her work and mm. her relationships and stuff it's called year of yes the idea being that she never says yes to anything and for this year she's going to say yes to everything even if it scares her and she doesn't want to do it <laughs> Shonda Rhimes being the screenwriter and producer of shows like Grey's Anatomy and Scandal and How to Get Away with Murder so she's a really big time Hollywood TV person mm -hmm. but as you learn from this book she's also a massive introvert and someone who's kind of struggled with confidence her whole life. When you find those really successful people who are underconfident and you're, you're, you want to grab them by the shoulders and be like, no, it's not fair, you don't get to be underconfident, you're too good. You're too good at this, I know. <laughs> and she has this extra burden of being like the most successful black woman in mm. TV ever who's done so much at getting other not white, not men people yeah. on screen. And so much, so like um, the fact that Viola Davis won an Emmy mm. 
was for being in a show that Shonda Rhimes yeah. wrote, you know. So she's a really, really great person, really fascinating. But the particular chapter that I want to recommend to you is actually from the audiobook version, which is about a commencement address she gives at the graduation ceremony at Dartmouth University. Mm-hmm. This chapter, if anyone wants to go and seek it out, comes quite early in the book. And in the really good audiobook version, you get Shonda Rhimes reading the book and then they splice in the audio of her actual speech. So you get all the atmosphere of being in this room with like 8,000 students. Oh my god, it sounds... I'm already nervous I know, for her. Giving the speech. And then you get her commentary after the fact of like how she felt while she was giving it and stuff. So it's one of those occasions where you feel like you actually get more from a book listening to it. Oh, great. I'm so. really excited. I, I sort of know about Shonda Rhimes and obviously I've seen bits of Grey's Anatomy and stuff but I've never properly followed her career in a proper way and it's something that I've been wanting to do for ages because she's clearly an incredibly talented person and an interesting person so this is a good excuse to do that yeah Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, iTunes and Tumblr. All the links are at newstatesman.com slash srsly. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.